Please hold for Armchair Adventurer. That's not the kind of podcast we are. The mailbox is full and cannot accept any messages at this time. Goodbye. Channel 5 is smoking. <laughs> smoking. Okay, so earlier this week, you may have caught on Instagram on the story of the uh, podcast account, we tried something new. We streamed live on Twitch playing GeoGuessr. It was a lot of fun. We gave basically no warning of that, and it is for that reason that we pe- peaked at like five viewers, I think. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. That's One very that, active viewer. One, that might be a I want to talk blade. about this guy. I want to talk about this this one very active guy we had. What Mars? What was? Do we name? have any analytics? Mars, Mars. It kind of kind of ruined the game for me. <laughs> I, I, I didn't sense that. I sensed that for sure. We had a guy who knew GeoGuessr so well, which seems absurd <laughs> that you can know that game. <laughs> yeah. But it would be we'd drop in somewhere, and within twenty seconds, he'd say like, "Oh, you're in uh, Slovakia," and be right. Yeah, like ninety five percent of the time. The Argentina, like the fact that we were in Argentina three times and zero context of being Argentina. He just hit us, Argentina. How? How? And the, the chat. The, since he was basically the only person talking in chat, it was like I couldn't not see it. Yeah. When he would say it, I would just see him say it, well, and, and then it's like I lost all fun. Like I trying to figure out where man. we are. Exactly, I respect the man, but then it kind of ruins the game because we're no longer guessing; we're just going off what he says. Which is exactly why we need everyone to Ooh. tune into the next Twitch stream. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Next time we yes, go live, so you, can, so you can drown out that idiot. And uh, also, we want to mention, I will be on the next one. And uh, I've already been talking big smack about how good I am at GeoGuessr. So uh, there will be a lot of <laughs> shit talking. A lot of yik-yakking. Yeah, yeah. TikTokking. <laughs> uh, maybe not after uh, Saturday. Yeah, I was going to say, no more TikTok. <laughs> Sorry, guy. That's yeah. happening this soon. What? Uh, theoretically, uh, apparently, as soon as Saturday. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, that's tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what that's yeah. what had been said. Is basically Quite like the, the hard date was uh, was Saturday. So do, do I have to go to r slash out of the loop right now? I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Uh, basically, um, so TikTok, uh, like Trump gave a, a you know, basically said like we're going to ban TikTok by this date if it isn't if the they're like U.S. operations aren't sold to a U.S.-based company to protect U.S. user data. And that's tomorrow. Tomorrow was the hard date, yeah. And Sick. Oracle was in, like, so Microsoft yeah. pretty much had it in the bag, and, and then out of nowhere, Oracle uh, apparently won the bid. And then uh, the Chinese government was basically like, we're not going to let a full sale happen at all. The main thing they were trying to protect was the AI algorithm that you know suggests mm. videos for TikTok. Mm. So... Things have gotten complicated. Things have gotten held up, and I mean, Trump's held pretty steady on the, the hard date thing. So we'll see what the hell happens tomorrow. Yeah, but for <laughs> GeoGuessr, we'll probably do just a random Instagram post just to let you know when we plan to do it again. Um, that way, yeah, we'll probably do it earlier in the day, though. Like you know, the the post. Yes, right? that way you can like, like tonight at uh, seven p.m. Eastern Standard Time or what have you. What have you? Yes. So please tune in. Please tune in. And uh, as for the episode. Yeah, what do we got today, it. boys? We got some weather phenomena. Today, the plan is simple. We got weather phenomena. 
We got three, basically. One from Dan, one from Greg, short one from me. Greg's the headliner. Dan and I are opening. And I'll play the student today. Yeah, Paul's the audience. Together we have a perfect stand-up comedy show. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, Let's see. Has, I, it, has it occurred to anybody else yet that we're basically just like – the ultimate small talk is talking about the weather and we're going to stretch this out and do an hour. <laughs> this is just the small talk episode. Yeah. Yes. Um, let's see. I don't actually know, Dan, what you're talking about. Greg is talking about the year without a summer. Dan is talking about... The Royal Charter Storm. The Royal Charter Storm. And I am talking about the Tri-State Tornado, which oh, is something man. I learned about a few hours ago. Okay. Cool. So we're starting out with Dan, correct? I think me, because mine's probably okay. shorter. All right. Well, get on with it. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's cracking the whips, trying to keep us under time. That's no, yeah, Greg's, Greg's budgeting for his three pages of notes. <laughs> He's not wrong. Oh, Christ. Um, well, I w- you got to hit us with a date real, real quick here, Kane. The date it happened? Yeah, I'm dying. Gladly, March eighteenth, nineteen twenty-five. Uh, have any of you guys heard of this? Try state. No, tornado. I have not. I have not. One guess from each of you on which three states it is. Oklahoma. It's, oh, that's a good one. I'm going Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm stupid and from New York, so I just immediately thought New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. So wait. Back up. You just said only Oklahoma? Tri-state? Well, no, 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 no. Only okay, Oklahoma. So, no, okay, so you're trying... You, okay, I, let me... I just blurted out Oklahoma because Oklahoma is Tornado City. Um, well, Tornado State, I suppose. It's a um, state. I'm aware, Dan. Thank you. Well, it is... Mr. Oklahoma Teacher. City is a city. Yes, Oklahoma City is a city. Um, Not wrong. I'm going to guess Oklahoma... Oh, yeah, there you go. Kansas, Texas. Okay, fantastic. You were all wrong. Okay. It is Missouri, Indiana, and Illinois. All right. Oh. No. Oh, okay. North. There is a very particular reason that this tornado is so special. I'll just right off the gate, or right out of the gates tell you, most disastrous tornado in U.S. history. Oh. Hmm. It lasted a record duration of three and a half hours, and approximately 15,000 homes were destroyed by this tornado. Wow. Totaling a damage estimate. This is an armchair adventurer classic having to plug something into an inflation calculator. <laughs> <laughs> because it was it did sixteen and a half million dollars of damage in nineteen twenty five. Oh which adjusted for inflation That's is two point two billion dollars oh. worth of damage. I figured it was gonna be in the billions. That's bad. In three hours. Three and a half hours. And uh pretty good reason for that is meteorologists today estimate that Wind speeds were about 300 miles per hour in this tornado, and the tornado itself traveled about 75 miles per hour. (laughs) Wow. On top of that, uh, once it got into Missouri, it got pretty bad. Uh, I think it ended in Missouri, and it was up to a mile wide when it was in. The tornado was up to a mile wide when it was in, and it left a path like that. Three states, obviously covered 14 counties and destroyed not totally but 19 communities were hit 
four of which were effectively removed from the map and were never recovered. Like, completely decimated, never rebuilt. Good Lord. Oh, my God. Jesus. Uh, Are you pointing to the ceiling or raising your hand? I'm raising my hand. I don't, I don't want to interrupt. Um, one thing that's interesting, Kane, I don't know if you came across this on your research at all, but uh, does anybody else here know how wind speeds and tornadoes are measured? Uh, Fujita scale. Well, the Fujita scale is like a, like a scale of how bad tornadoes are. By do you know speed. how they actually determine wind speed? Chain? Oh, a chain on a pole. <laughs> they uh, is it like a twister? <laughs> a bunch of knots in it. Uh, you're you're yeah. you know you're closer like, than a wind gauge would be. Um, no, it's actually like there's no reliable way to measure wind speed during a tornado. So they they figure out the wind speed by how much damage is actually caused. Ah, okay. Like wow. so, like if like w- like you know the roof peels off, that's you know they can guess <laughs> you know they can kind of guess how much wind uh, wind that would be. If entire buildings are destroyed, they can kind of base it on that. But, like, there's no way to just put a gauge in the air and figure out actual wind speed just based on how they, how they act. It's kind of crazy. That's surprising. So tell us more, Kane. Like, uh, you said that... But, well, part of the reason it was more. so deadly was because nobody could tell that it was a tornado because it was a very particular... The weather conditions were so unique that led up to this that there's some controversy today that it was even a single tornado that caused this. It was an extraordinarily low cloud base, cloud base. So it was very low to the ground. Like clouds were basically covering most of the funnel that you would see. Mm. And it was, of course, extremely wide. So it didn't look very much like a funnel cloud. And it kicked up a lot of dust. And so it kind of just looked like it was, it was described as, uh, by witnesses, as an amorphous rolling fog or boiling clouds on the ground. God, and then all of and a would, sudden your roof gets sliced open. Yeah, your house is gone. There yeah, was, I was uh, need say. a two by four through your stomach. One of the towns that was particularly decimated by this tornado was DeSoto, Illinois. And I love this this sentence. Also killed at DeSoto was Jackson County Deputy Sheriff George Boland. While on patrol, when the storm struck, the tornado lifted him from the ground and he disappeared into the funnel. His body was never found. Oh. Damn, he's still what? falling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got launched in the stratosphere. God. He's now a satellite. Yeah. Um, now, Paul, you've got, you've got some explaining to do because the actual storm system that started this tornado or tornado outbreak, I'll get into that. Uh-oh. I know where was, you're going with this. was an extra tropical cyclone that started over northwest Montana. <laughs> classic so let you guys on a little uh darpa secret here yeah what are they really doing in malmstrom <laughs> you ever heard of uh weather control boys <laughs> cloud seeding i can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> no the, uh, that's definitely out there unfortunately since it happened in 1925 there's not really a ton of photographic evidence nor any real Paul, question? Actually, you definitely sparked my interest about the Montana thing. So what we have (laughs) happen up here a lot of times, like we have something called the Chinook winds. They're basically these winds that come from like Mexico up the Rocky Mountains. Okay. Um, And they'll just like, it'll be the dead of like winter, like negative degrees. 
and then the next like day or week it'll be all of a sudden like 60 degrees oh. weird these like winds from mexico is like keep this warm air and then just spew out over montana for whatever reason so I wonder if that's what caused it. If just some extreme like weather shit happened in Montana. It was. It was also. It, yeah, that extra tropical cyclone actually met um, a warm front that came from the Gulf Coast. That makes huh. that makes a lot of sense. I took a meteorology class, so I'm clearly a tornado expert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but obviously, warm air and cool air Look hitting at each Tommy other. Tommy Fujita over here. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I could talk about scale at the end too. Well, uh, basically, when like tornadoes form, when warm, like when there's a lot of, I, I think humidity is involved. Mm-hmm. I don't remember a lot, but uh, warm air and cool air hitting each other, especially in a spinning, and d- yeah, doing that spinning, deadly dance. Yeah, exactly, in a, <laughs> the, in a spinning direction, uh, is is you know, how how these uh, these form. So, um, and interestingly, you mentioned it was a cyclone, right? So, a lot of people like. You know, th- when they think cyclone, they think tornado. I mean, cyclones are basically just like there's cyclones and anticyclones, depending on the direction that the the wind is spinning. Oh. Well, I, I think about Hilton Coliseum when I hear the word cyclone. Hell yeah, brother! <laughs> but I've got a question Sweet for you, boys. Okay. So, this tornado was around 300 miles per hour. You say? The wind was yeah. Crazy. Lord. So that's category. It's an F five tornado. Okay. Theoretically, the because it's never happened before, for what we know, uh, the Fujita scale goes up to F twelve. What do you think? How fast do you think F twelve is? Like five hundred <laughs> miles an hour. It's probably more than that, right? <laughs> like five thousand miles an hour. <laughs> oh, not that quite fast. <laughs> but nine hundred. <laughs> What seven hundred and thirty-eight miles per hour? Damn. Jesus Christ! With it, yeah. you know that's kind of funny. That's like the uh, I know it's not even really used anymore, but I think like a ten point oh on the Richter scale is technically enough to completely shatter the planet, like <laughs> com- completely destroy the planet. <laughs> Those Are numbers just have. Good lord! Yeah. <laughs> well, that that makes sense to me, just because the Richter scale, like, isn't it um, like exponential? Oh, is it? It's like a logarithmic. Logarithmic. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, either way, like it, it the the higher the numbers get, the more the you know the more like intensity. decibels. Yeah. Just like decibels. So so last thing, last thing before <laughs> we move on to Dan. Yours is still going to be by far the shortest. Okay. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is still a crazy storm. Like I like we don't need to downplay this. Like miles lar- an hour. Largest like so one thing that's really interesting about tornadoes in general is that like the United States is like the tornado capital of the world. We get more tornadoes than anywhere else. Tornadoes do exist in other countries, but it seems like a lot of times they get kind of played down in other countries. And because I mean, you know, countries don't want to be known for a place that has a bunch of tornadoes happen. But like, we get drastically more tornadoes than anywhere else in the world. And this is—you said this is the most intense. Or was it the highest damage number, or the high, the most intense tornado, or both? It was not the highest damage. I think it was the highest death count of any U.S. tornado. Which being was it nineteen twenty five? You said right. I didn't even say how many people died. Yeah, um, that's that's crazy. Because like, how I mean, many? Yeah, how many people died? Six hundred ninety five. Ah, 
Oh, man. Yeah. It, sorry, Greg, to your point, uh, it is like 90% of the tornadoes in the world happen in the U.S. or something, but I think like four of the top five deadliest have all been in Bangladesh, but that's probably just because of how densely populated they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Bangladesh. a tornado would kill, you know, <laughs> a thousand people. So and not people. to mention the fact that like um, tornado like deaths typically aren't, you know, you know, you're, you're like population density and the... Um, which you just mentioned, combined with the strength of structures, you know, that pretty much leads into how, how deadly things are. And the more I think about it, the more that 1925 being a high death toll makes sense because houses back in 1925 probably were, well, yeah. some yeah. some houses back then obviously were built really sturdy. Like but I can imagine boxes. Yeah, I can imagine <laughs> that, like, houses built in 1925 on the prairie probably weren't built with, you know, I bought this from the two by six. You know? yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, like, wow. and, and not the, not the strongest foundations, like things are going to fall down and people are going to get hurt. Cause if you, if you're out in a field and you lay down, you know, the chances of you getting picked up by a tornado are pretty low. But if you're near a house or near stuff that's going to fly and hit you, that's usually what causes deaths. Yes. I bet you that sheriff laid down in a field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or he was climbing a tree at the time, trying to save a cat. <laughs> <laughs> just got zooted. <laughs> now, the final thing. <laughs> so, Greg, we got to get moving. All right. Um, the, uh, Wait, one more thing. There is controversy because this is so unbelievable that uh, a tornado would, by the way, one of the most important factors that I forgot to mention was that it traveled 219 miles. Whoa. So, well, I mean. Three states, man. So. Yeah, it, well, and um, it's it's so big and intense that a lot of modern meteorologists don't actually think it was one. It was part of a tornado family, and I think the most widely accepted modern belief, and this is posited by tornado expert Tom Grizoulis, believes that the first 60-mile track was probably two or more tornadoes, and then a 157-mile segment was one single tornado because it was a continuous path. God. You know what, though? Who the fuck cares? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Who cares? Yeah, it's still... The results Even if it's, even if it's a themselves. family of tornadoes, it's still yeah. one event. You know, it's one incident. Yeah, that, that seems that pretty there, uh, Kane, petty. That is, that's terrifying. That's a, that's a big area. Yeah. Did that, did that hit, do I see St. Louis in the middle of that? Uh, right there. Pretty much in the center. Of it. I mean, not not in the direct path, but yeah, like yeah, these are the could tornadoes. You, could you imagine how much how much damage that would have caused if it had just turned slightly more north and hit St. Louis? Actually, funny you mentioned, Greg the the two uh, tornadoes that have a higher damage like dollar value are both in St. Louis. That makes sense. They're both tornadoes that hit right into mm. St. Louis, so. Another population density thing, probably. Yeah. yeah. So that's the tri-state tornado. That was sick. Uh, Dan, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. He's Which is ready. more than I can say for the people in my story. Show me your moves. <laughs> 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 All right, so um, we're going to rewind about <laughs> 75 years, something like that. Okay. Um, to October twenty fifth and twenty sixth, eighteen fifty nine. That's more way more than seventy five years, Dan. And from nineteen twenty five. Oh, I thought you meant from today. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> was, 
It's like, <laughs> uh, it's like this is my, my when my grandfather was not, born. Good thing you're not a math teacher. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this, this is gonna be perfect. This is gonna be perfect because we're basically just going back in time for each story. So this will be great. All right. It's like we planned it. <laughs> um, the main area of focus is the Irish Sea. So uh, that is basically the sea between Ireland and England. So it's a pretty tiny area, but um, this is by far the worst storm to hit this area in the whole of the 19th century. So 1800s, 1899, I think you could have done a better job of hyping that up. Uh, yeah, I know. Those I were know. some pretty specific <laughs> I know. guidelines, but <laughs> I've really tried to find like a wider range. Like I understand. You get, come on, get, you know, give me 1950 at least. Um, it's like saying this one thing is the worst thing that happened in 2020. Yeah, it's <laughs> like come on, everything's bad. <laughs> so, um, however, it is estimated to have killed over 800 people. And most of these people were out, like, in ships and boats. Um, there were very few people on land that actually ended up dying from this. The storm is named after... Did I say the name of it yet? I don't think so. Okay, well, it was called the Royal the, Charter Storm. Oh, you said at the top of the episode, yeah. Oh, okay. So the storm is named after one of the ships that was destroyed. The ship was called the Royal Charter. Um, and the reason that the this ship gets all the credit is because... A, about 450 people on this ship died. Whoa. Dang. Yeah. So you said the total was like, what, 800? Yeah, so like all, so like more like than half. half. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, most, like most people were on this one ship, not most like little shipping, uh, fishing boats or something. So I may not be the student, but I do have a question. What, what, well, yeah. you may answer this later, but where was the ship going? What was it? What was it? Was it going between England and uh, Ireland, or? Oh, just you wait. All right. Um, longer than that. It was actually spoiler alert. It was coming from Australia. Whoa. Yeah. Oh. Um, Van so. Diemen's Land. Thank you. <laughs> the prison colony at the time. I was gonna say. I was gonna say dropping off at the time. <laughs> Not prisoners, my friend. Just you wait. Uh, okay, so I split the information up into three different topics. One. All right. The human impact. Two, the financial impact, and three, the impact on meteorological, uh, on the meteorological industry. Oh, yeah, this storm has actually like a very big impact on basically the founding of meteorology. Good to know, at least like as we know it today. So I'll start with the human impact. The first thing you need to realize is like how bad it would have felt and looked to be, like, on a ship in the middle of this storm. Um, by 10 p.m. <laughs> on October 25th, the storm reached Force 10 on the Beaufort scale. Is anyone familiar with this? Anybody hear this? I'm not familiar with the Beaufort no. scale. I assume this is some sort of sea storm scale. Exactly. And similarly to, like, or at least what it sounds like, uh, how it works for tornadoes, it basically goes by, like, how bad the storm was. So, like, here's the description for a 10 on the Beaufort scale. Mind you, max is 12. Um, it's described as a gale. 
Uh, winds are between 55 and 63 miles an hour. Waves are between 29 and 41 feet. Who? And here's a bit longer description. Very high waves with long overhanging crests. Resulting foam in great patches is blown in dense white streaks along the direction of the wind. On the whole, the surface of the sea takes on a white appearance. Rolling of the sea becomes heavy. Visibility affected. Did you say the the sea appears white? Yeah, because like like the entirety of the sea? Yeah, so like, you know, when like waves crest, you have... Yeah, no, uh, I, I... I understand sea foam. Like that's that's like the entire sea is appearing white. That that's wild. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, because it's getting kicked up so bad. All right. Hold on. Why is this happening? Probably because of a storm, Dan. Yeah. It's just storms all the way down. <laughs> Straight up. I want to. I want to take this brief lull to just touch on something else this this episode is just an episode of trifectas this is uh so we're going over three different scales here so we we first started off tor- with tornadoes and then we're doing sea storms and then there's that there's another scale we're going to talk about later so interesting that we're touching on three different separate um meteor meteoro- meteorological uh, that's a hard word uh scales in general so interesting very informative episode we're uh, off to the start here. So Really doing our job here. Um, all right, so something weird has happened with uh, my... <laughs> I took a screenshot of the Beaufort scale uh, because, lo and behold, about two hours later, by midnight, between the um, 25th and the 26th of October, the storm had reached a 12 on the Beaufort scale, which you probably recall me saying is the max amount of force. So here's the description from the Beaufort scale. First of all, it's hurricane force. Um, Winds are upwards of and exceeding 73 miles per hour. Waves are exceeding 45, 46 feet. Uh, More description. The air is filled with foam and spray. Sea is completely white with driving spray visibility very seriously affected and the description of land conditions for each of these categories they have like a pretty lengthy description but for 12 on the Beaufort Beaufort scale it just says devastation (laughs) so (laughs) this is pretty nasty and one of the pictures that we're going to share on the Instagram post is of like a picture taken from a ship in the middle of a Force 12 storm. So you'll kind of get a glimpse. Quick question. Uh, yes. What, do, you know what, do you know what storm that picture was taken in? No. Well, I'm sure it's still devastating. But Yeah. <laughs> and it was taken in like a modern ship, not like a, the one that the Royal Charter was iron. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'd be any more comfortable in a ship from today in a storm of that scale than I wouldn't in a ship from certainly not 1850. Like I, I think if I'm, if I was in a, tw- you know, scale 12, a Beaufort scale, is what you said, right? Yeah. A Beaufort scale 12 storm, you know, I don't care what era it is. I'm probably going to die. <laughs> yeah. You, you, once you see that picture, 
you know, it's one of those classic pictures where, like, the wave is clearing the side of the ship by, like, 20 or 30 feet. It's like, yeah, that's going to suck. That's absolutely terrifying. I subscribe to a, a subreddit, r slash heavy seas, and even even stuff where there's, like, 10-foot waves coming over the, the edge of a, of a ship is God just like... Damn it. <laughs> I was trying not to break. Uh, to, to all of our listeners, uh, Kane is is having a battle with his clothing right now. So, jeez, uh, Clo- the clothing has like an absolute serial killer at one moment. <laughs> the struggle is real. <laughs> okay, well, should I keep going? Absolutely. I lo- like the per. I look at the Beaufort scale picture, and yeah. it reminds me of like the Perfect Storm movie, of just like crashing waves over like the ship's sides, like you said. Yeah, like, just like, you know, don't the phrase "we need a bigger boat" it is just <laughs> under scale to what is actually going on here. It's like if you've ever watched Deadliest Catch. And, you know, they have those brief cutaways from the action because there's, like, a big storm and they have to clear the deck. And then all you see is, like, some B-roll of a bunch of big waves crashing onto the deck. Like, those are probably a third of the size of these waves. That's crazy. (laughs) So this event was so massive and so intense. Like, the recovery effort, you know, was immediate and still took months and even years and decades And so one very high-profile visitor to the scene early on, um, to the scene of the Royal Charter shipwreck, was Charles Dickens. And by this point, he was already very famous. Uh, And so he wrote sort of this, like, descriptive piece on, like, what the shipwreck and damage actually looked like. And here's a quote from it. So tremendous had the force of the sea been when it broke up the ship. That it, had be- that it had beaten one great ingot of gold deep into a strong and heavy piece of her solid, her solid ironwork, in which also several loose sovereigns that the ingot had swept in before it had been found, as firmly embedded as though the iron had been liquid when they were forced there. So you basically, in layman's term, like, modern English, like a piece of gold was so far embedded into the iron side of the ship that it looked like the iron just moved like liquid to to set the gold there. (laughs) Dang. And you might be wondering why there's gold there. Uh, Well, that's coming up. (laughs) Um, After this commercial break. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) After our plug from... All in all, the the Royal Charter, again, was just one ship in the storm. There were actually over 130 ships that were completely sunk. Jesus. Yeah. So, like, a lot of one- and two-man fishing boats, right? Do the math like that, but it's still. Um, all right, for the next part, I'm going to jump real quick to number three, the impact on the meteorological industry. Um, because I want to end with the financial impact, which will take like two seconds, but is pretty cool. Okay. So first of all, this storm, like I said, was a once-in-a-century storm for this area. Uh, no one expected anything like this to happen. Ship crews were like not used to anything like this at all. Um, so afterwards, this guy, Robert Fitzroy, steps in, 
and he is credited widely for like the beginning of meteorology as a science. So just before the storm, you know, this Fitzroy, just to give a little background, he becomes the head of this like Department of Meteorological Statistics for the British government and or probably the British Navy. And so after this storm, he takes he tries to find all this data right on like what actually happened so that they can kind of map it out and try to understand where it all came from. And he realizes like there's just so little data to actually pull from, like no one is really taking measurements on massive weather events, let alone like regular weather day to day. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so that's where he kind of notices the, the, uh, the gap. And basically he comes up with this system that, if you look at a map of Europe and you draw just like a massive grid on it where each square turns out to be like 50 or 100 square miles, like real small, right? Basically like a quick drive and you can be anywhere there. And each square would have a station in it that would have someone who would take measurements, you know, take... <laughs> that was weird. Did you mute? Yeah, I just got... That was just weird. Dude, I, oh, all right, whatever. Sorry about that. Was it just Zoom? Yeah, Zoom just all of a sudden didn't pick anything up. Yeah, there's a little, like, red thing next to your name. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm back now, and the recording didn't stop, so that's good. That's good. Before you start again, I got to say, changed into a crisp white 4XL T-shirt, <laughs> and I am... <laughs> Feeling good. Like the <laughs> very, very warm. You're free. Yeah, and then I think I think what was going on there. I think one of those sleeves was inside out on that other uh, thing I was trying to put on. I mean, I'll be right behind you once I'm done because I'm freaking boiling now. Yeah, it was very cold earlier, so Frank turned up the air, and now it's like. Uh, I'm uh, I'm tempted to buy a 4XL shirt and just see what it looks like on me. Dude, it's It'd it's big on me. So yeah, I was gonna I mean, say it's like probably huge on you. Can imagine it's, what? It's it, what's the funniest part about it is that like the front to back, there's like, <laughs> if I pulled, if it was like flat against my back, there would probably be like eight inches of overhang in the front <laughs> yeah. where it's just like dangling outwards like a skirt. Jesus. I only own I only own one four XL shirt. What? Um, Get out of here. So, <laughs> oh, only one. Yeah. It's yeah. actually well, I own two. Uh, this is my second. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dan. Sorry. You can. That's yeah. okay. That, this is, this <laughs> so is such an aside. Picture, Clothing has nothing to do with a massive Picture the storm. total square footage that a cut-up 4X t-shirt would, would take. <laughs> yeah. That's basically the equivalent of what one person would have to monitor. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, basically, he just had, like, this vision in his head of, like, this entire system where then, like, you know, you'd have a bunch of, like, satellite stations taking measurements and then sending that data via telegraph to, like, a more central office that would yeah. compile the map data and then basically be looking at the weather across the entire continent and eventually the entire world all at one moment. And then, like, the next half hour, you'd get, like, another wave of data, right? Yeah. So you'd be able to try and start to, like, predict it. Um, and this basically became like the system that we used up until we started using satellites. Um, right. It was basically just communicate 
local measurements to one location as quickly as possible and make a map out of it. Um, What's that? Logical. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like, I mean, it's because of this one storm just kind of, like, just annihilated this area, and this this guy just so happened to be in a position to design a new system to to try and predict stuff like that. Um, and then by 1870, Ulysses S. Grant signed into law, or or probably executive order, allowing the uh, U.S. Secretary of War to set up the National Weather Warning Service, <laughs> which was basically like the same setup. Um, interesting that that title ran yeah. that service, but anyways. All right. Um, the cherry on top of this whole thing is the financial impact. So let's what you need it. to know I've been about... Waiting. What? I said, let's hear it. I've been waiting. Oh, good. So the Royal Charter was mostly a passenger ship, but obviously, like most passenger ships at this time and every time, carried a lot of cargo, too. Um, and the the path, the route that the Royal Charter was tasked to, go, uh, to sail on was from... Liverpool, England to Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia, and Melbourne. Back. Melbourne. Yep. Um, and so the, the reason why that matters is because near Mel- Melbourne, 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 the British had discovered massive gold mines, and Ooh. so basically you had this one charter from England to Australia where people who wanted to strike it rich to try and find gold hopped got a ticket, hopped on board, went to Australia, tried their best, and a lot of them ended up coming back with huge nuggets of gold. I can see where this is going. So that's hilarious because literally the next line on my page is, see where this is going? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So on board the Royal Charter, as it sank to the sea, was roughly... 80 million dollars worth of gold. Jesus Christ. Hold on. Is this 80 million dollars in 1850? No, in today's money. Okay, still. Oh, that's still that's a lot. Yeah. Good lord. However, that's all that was documented. Like um a lot of the gold that was brought back was chartered by other people like, "Hey, go there. I'll pay you. Bring me back this gold." But like average Joes went on this trip all the time, they would want to avoid paying any sort of duties or taxes on the gold that they got. So they would hide it everywhere. Yeah. They'd hide <laughs> it in their luggage. They'd hide it in their pants, their pockets, their sleeves. So like there's an untold amount of gold that literally dragged these people down to like the bottom of the, the sea. So what you're saying is a lot of these people had slings on on their bellies where they would just... Uh, Put a whole bunch of gold and then throw a four XT over top. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Never yes. be able to discern that there's anything under there. Exactly. Never Precisely. Be able to yeah. So that's that's it, man. That's the cool. Royal Charter Storm. Love it. Yeah. Eighty <clears throat> mil. One thing uh, I want to say real quick, since you've made it this far, I forgot to mention at the top of the episode. We are doing another draft today, and it is best fictional television characters. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it in a reverse order from the first, so we will be ending with our first pick, basically. Well, on to our, our last bit here, the long-awaited uh, final and much uh, more substantial and well-researched wow. uh, <laughs> section of the pod. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be talking about, um, honestly, not really a weather event 
so much as it is a climate. Yeah, it's event. a climate event. Yeah, it wasn't weather that caused this. Is where where I'll start. Oh, okay, that's a good yeah. important distinction. You're right. Exactly. So, um, this story centers around the summer of, as we mentioned before, all of our stories are getting older and older as we go on. Some, uh, centers around the summer of 1816, which is often referred to the year without a summer, the poverty year, or my personal favorite. 1800 and froze to death. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Obviously, the, uh, the implication of uh, those names imply what the world experienced that summer, which, uh, which was severe climatic abnormalities that re- reduced the overall average global temperature. So this, uh, this reduced global temperature has some draf- drastic effects on the northern hemisphere of the world in particular, uh, which, as you will learn later, results in some very, uh, very particular food-related misery. <laughs> so, um, food poisoning, famine. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Paul, you being the student, we haven't asked you any, really any questions so far this episode. What do okay. you think caused this rapid climate change? The ice age. The ice age. <laughs> The Ice Age of 1816. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what were that you, movie was about. Yeah, Greg, were you what? there? Uh huh. I didn't think so. Go I ahead. Mean, I didn't. I didn't chase an acorn and then split a yeah. uh, split an ice. <laughs> that was my first guess. Split a glacier in half. Um, <laughs> what's what's your actual guess? Let's uh, let's hear. So like, I hate it because you already kind of posted the images. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Why. Well, yeah. All right. So, so um, I guess this isn't so much. It's of a, a volcano. Yeah, it's a volcano. <laughs> yeah, it's a... So I already know the answer. All right. But well, that uh, that's exactly. whoa, 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 whoa. How did the volcano cause it, Paul? So, is it similar to how that one in Iceland happened, where the volcano caused so much ash and shit into the atmosphere that it actually blocked out the sun, causing just record low temperatures? It's a bingo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's 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 exactly what's what's happening here. So. We'll get I'm, into good that at, in depth. I'm good at what I do, Greg. Okay, just yeah. be honest. <laughs> you know, you 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 very much are. <laughs> All right, you're, you're one for one, Paul. One for one. Tec- very technically batting a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> two for two. What about the Air Force weather control earlier? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> those are two hard facts. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Air Force was nary a thought in somebody's mind at this nary point in. I'll stay clean. Well, actually, our story does not begin in 1816, which is genuinely the year that most of this talks about. But, well, actually, it's about 50 50 between 1815 and 1816. I'm going to guess 15 eruptions, 16 effects. Again, correct. Cool. So, the next section of my notes is titled Volcanoes, Bitch. (laughs) So, uh, the (laughs) next part of our story takes us to the island of uh, Sambawa located in the Lesser Sunda Islands chain, which is now a part of Indonesia. But in 1815, the island was a part of the Dutch East Indies. Mm. Um, if you go and look up this island um, on any kind of mapping system, you and you take a look at the topographical map of said island, uh, you will find that this island is very mountainous, um, and there's a very specific reason why it is so mountainous. Anybody who's uh, learned anything about the Pacific Rim will know that uh, there's quite a lot of volcanic activity around the Pacific Rim. That's pretty much what defines the Pacific Rim. Um, so this, this island has volcanic origins. So on the island of Sumbawa, 
there is one particular volcano or mountain slash volcano uh, that is in question here, which is Mount Tambora, which at the time of the story is a 14,100-foot stratovolcano that is on the northern part of the island. Is that measuring height or like... Elevation at the... Oh, okay. (laughs) So, well, we're talking about in 1815, early 1815, that uh, that height will be revised soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'll get into that later. So um, in the several centuries prior to 1815, Mount Tambora was dormant. So dormant volcanoes. So basically after an eruption, typically um, what happens during an eruption is the volcano, volcano releases its magma, which becomes lava on the surface. It drains out, and then there's a magma chamber that is emptied inside. And then slowly... That magma chamber fills and fills and fills until the inevitable happens. So, in the oh. case in the case of Mount Tambora, Mount Tambora was filling with what's called hydrous magma, which, as its name implies, is magma that contains water as well. A sealed magma chamber with a lot of water inside. Paul, what do you think is going to happen? I, I, I want to guess if he doesn't get it. It's a pipe bomb. <laughs> a lot of pressure. Teachers lot... really are the worst students. <laughs> <laughs> a lot Jeez. of steam. A lot of pressure. How much pressure do you guys think? In in bar or PSI, uh, I'll accept both answers. About I'll, enough I'll to about, play the uh, soccer ball. How about uh, kilocals or pascals? I cannot do these calculations it's on my head oh, i have written well, i've written let da- the I've, student become the teacher huh okay <laughs> i've written <laughs> down two different i have, ma- I, uh, I I have, have no two, idea <laughs> i have two measurements written down i don't okay. have kilopascals i'm gonna i'm gonna guess and i really hope i'm not highballing it okay Six hundred forty thousand psi that's way highballing it. fuck <laughs> <laughs> let's go about 10 huh? times too high <laughs> are you serious yeah it's seventy three thousand oh, psi damn, i was gonna guess 64 at first and i was like that's really not that'd be that pretty crazy. close that'd be pretty oh. close 5,000 bar, which is about 73,000 PSI. Just think is, normal atmosphere is around, like, 29. Ah. Uh, the, like, the ju- crazy, just well, 29, not 25,000. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> I did. So, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so 73,000 PSI is what was building up inside of this mountain. And uh, oh what's crazy to me is that scientists are even able to guesstimate this kind of thing because this happened in, you know, 1815. Uh, but this was, as we'll find out soon, uh, one of the most important uh, volcanic events that's happened in human history. I have one thing to add through that. The comparison to the pressure at the bottom of the ocean is only 15,000 PSI. Are Damn. you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. God, so five more like times? More, times yeah, five, about, yeah. Uh, almost, almost five times the pressure at the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. That's at the bottom of the Marion Trench. Yeah. So, um, also, I have I also have a temperature uh, estimate that was inside of this volcano, and that is one thousand five hundred and sixty degrees or eight hundred fifty degrees Celsius. You can cook See, a pizza in there. That's all relative to volcanoes very, because very, they're always hot. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, Molten rock. Literally. So, as I've mentioned prior, the story starts in eighteen fifteen. But uh, if we rewind to 1812, that's about when the volcano began to rumble and emit a dark cloud of smoke and ash. So this is not something that there was no warning on. 
there was about three years of warning before uh, this volcano erupted. Three years but, of smoke coming out of the mountain. Yep. Um, but we're also talking about Indonesia in the 1800s, which, um, as you might imagine, you know, they don't really have any way of telling anybody on neighboring islands uh, that something's going on. They don't really have any way of getting out of there like they could, you know, theoretically on small boats or canoes or whatever exactly they use in Indonesia. I, I don't know exactly. But if it was me, I'd, I'd get away. But then again, also, I'm speaking at this from a modern perspective. Right. I know what volcanoes do. It's not in if Washington was, it, State. Yeah, if I was an islander in 1815 in Indonesia, I, I may not know that smoke would mean that there's an eruption coming. I would also like to add a callback to two separate Armchair Adventure previous episodes from the archive. We've had two episodes where, facing serious conditions, people refuse to leave their home. <clears throat> One, Centralia, Pennsylvania. Yep. And two, the Bikini Atoll. A lot oh. of those people had the mindset like, oh, well, I've lived here all my life. I'm not, I'm not leaving for nothing. That's a good point. So there could have been some of that, like knowing it's like, well, if that thing erupts, I'm just going to go on with it. You know, I, I agree, and I think the Bikini Atoll probably has more parallels, especially with certainly. being... Certainly. <laughs> Pretty <yeah>. close. <laughs> Geographically. Geographically speaking, certainly. Um, but just like also just not understanding the implications of what's about to come. Sure. One man made one not, but um, still there's a lot of parallels to draw there. But uh, moving on. So on the 5th of April, 1815, so moving forward three years from uh, the beginning of the smoke, an eruption occurred. This is not the main eruption, but is the initial blast. Uh, and even though this is not the initial blast, the sound of this initial blast was heard on the island of Sumatra. And if our listeners are not familiar with the scale or ge geography in general of Indonesia, um, it's a massive country. There's, I think, about 17,000 islands that comprise Indonesia. Um, it's one of the largest countries, like, if you, if you measure end-to-end, -end, it's one of the largest countries in the world, land mass wise. It not so much, but if you if you consider the overall area and uh, you know waters surrounding it, it, is is an absolutely gargantuan country. If you like coffee, you'd recognize a few. Uh, yes, you would. Island names in in Indonesia. If you yes, you it. would. Uh, not the one we're talking about specifically, but no, Java, I Sumatra. I think that largely that's driven by the fact that there are not a lot of people on this island today, and I think that speaks to how much damage was caused by this volcano. So, um, the island of Sumatra that I mentioned that the sound was heard from was over 1,600 miles away. Oh, oh, that's so, like that's like New York to Colorado. Yeah, and keep in mind not this is far, not even the main. This is not even the main blast. Wait, you say six thousand miles away? One thousand six hundred. It's oh, like New sorry. York to Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. that it's insane how long how how long that distance is. So that was the initial blast, and five days later, on the tenth of April, eighteen fifteen, around seven p.m., the eruptions got significantly more intense. Uh, according to accounts from the locals, the uh, the mountain. Stratovolcano was turned into "quote unquote" a flowing mass of liquid fire. <laughs> awesome! Damn. Almost immediately, pumice stones of about eight inches in diameter began to rain from the sky. <laughs> God! Now this this isn't Krakatoa, is it? It's more intense than Krakatoa. Really? Because isn't Krakatoa in Sumatra? It's nearby. 
it's it's in the same Pacific Rim region, but oh, Krakatoa okay. is is not like when you think about it, like this whole region is so spread out. Uh, just just you know, Pacific Asia in general is so spread out that you know nearby could be you know a thousand plus miles away. I'm not sure the exact point to point distance between where we're talking about and Krakatoa, but um, what I can tell you for certain is that this, as far as uh, volcanic events is the superlative in human history. Wow. Okay. I was going to get to that later, but Krakatoa is often thought of as the the largest volcanic event in human history. And from an actual like death toll perspective, from the actual blast, I think Krakatoa it, killed I think Krakatoa killed more people because there was more like cities there was nearby. Because a tsunami. Because of the tsunami killed, it caused. Yes, the tsunami killed a lot of people and also near there was more people nearby, but this was actually a more drastic volcanic event sure the thing i think i always hear wasn't krakatoa the loudest like that was yeah the yeah so, it, was whole, the, it was heard in like england right yeah the sound waves like traveled around the world like three times which and huh. it was heard as far away as like england which makes sense because like i think krakatoa what happened with krakatoa was it was it wasn't quite as large of an explosion right but it's very much more sudden yeah the one i'm talking about there's an initial blast and then yeah like five days later, well, there's, there's so many kinds of eruptions, and yeah. volcanoes are actually super. And we'll get to that. There's a lot of volcanic activity, especially in this area. But oh my things, God. things compound. You know. Let, let's get to it. Greg's on page one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let's go. Let's go. Come on. One of seven. Yeah. Hustle. All right. Well, um, so immediately after these uh, pumice stones, eight-inch rocks are falling from the sky. All right. So you can imagine anybody who's nearby is just getting. Cannonball. I, I I don't I don't yeah that's that's a bad word but yeah just killed bombarded let's let's, sure. let's, let's leave okay. it bombarded let's, is better than cannonballed yeah it's, I, you know cooler <laughs> I get uh, well I like cannonballed but go ahead cannonballed is cooler in, in, <laughs> yeah. in the sense of uh, go ahead Greg killed they this is followed dead. by intense rains of ash so um. So this is like the the rains of ash falling down are, are one thing, but does anybody here know anything about pyroclastic flows? I've heard of them. <laughs> okay, so I'll keep it brief. But basically, pyroclastic flows are like when there's an eruption, uh, some of the some of the gases that are coming out are heavier than air, so they they stay close oh. to the ground. And there's also a whole bunch of ash. So what happens is there's basically uh, think an avalanche, but think of ash, rock, and gas f- like flowing down a mountain. Yeah. So. Uh, there's intense pyrocla- pyroclastic flows immediately after the eruption, which cascaded down the mountain and into the sea around uh, the area, which completely wiped out the village of Tambora. Um, the eruption of this volcano has been determined to be a 7 on the Volcanic Explosivity Index, which I had Kane pull up. So, Kane, can you tell me what the highest number on the Volcanic Explosivity Index is? 7. <laughs> scroll down to that real Asshole. quick. Asshole. <laughs> uh, scroll, scroll down further on the on this page here. Um, ah, there's an eight. Uh, but there is. Oh, okay. And eight must be the. There is a Yellowstone caldera not depicted. That must be the eight. Yeah. So, um, basically, look at the yeah. scale of time. Like, so from left to right on this, there's there's events that have happened. Look at the seven. So what was the, the farthest to the right is the one I'm talking about. Yes. On the seven. What's the next for, to the left? Like, what's the, yeah. what's the year? Uh, 1257. Yeah. So basically, 1257 is definitely in human history. 
So I, I want to make clear well within, that yeah, yeah I, I want to make clear <laughs> yeah. that this is not the single uh, most intense volcanic event in human history, but it's the definitely the most intense in human recorded history. Sure. When do we so, get to the weather? We're gonna get to that very shortly. <laughs> yeah, page seven, Dan. Page seven. The <laughs> page seven. All right. So, um, well, we're gonna get some good figures here in the next line. All right. So, Paul, again, you're the student. Um, mm-hmm. Seeing that this is a massive explosion, how much material do you think was removed from this mountain in in volume? And I'll give you one thing: you don't need to talk about yards. You need to talk about cubic miles. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Ten, Greg. I honestly, yeah, I honestly have no scale. All right, well, Dan hit it almost on. on the head. Nine point eight cubic miles of this mountain were wow. blown up into the sky. Good Jesus. guess, Dan. Which for Thank our you, uh, <laughs> for our metric listeners here is forty one cubic kilometers. I think we only have one German. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's uh, right. good for him. These uh, that that amount of land equates to about 10 billion metric tons of land. God. So the, the resulting caldera from, from this explosion is approximately four miles across uh, and is about 2,200 feet deep. Good God. Jesus, what? Yeah. So this volcano, God. I mentioned before that it was, well, I believe it was about 14,100 feet tall. This volcano lost about 4,750 feet of elevation, <laughs> leaving it only approximately... Almost a mile? Are yeah, you kidding me? Leaving it only a, about two-thirds as tall as it once was. Mind you that this island is not very big, and it goes into the ocean. So the prominence of this was insane, and the entire top of it was blown off. Wow. So it was reduced to about two-thirds the size of what it once was. So That's crazy. The aftermath of this explosion was, as you might imagine, severe. The deaths, like, immediately related to the volcano explosion, numbered approximately 10,000. <laughs> okay. So, like, like people that were... Ki- <laughs> Shouldn't have laughed. Sorry. <laughs> people that were killed by, like, magma, falling <laughs> rocks, ash, that kind of thing, 10,000. Cannonballed. But, the, but as you <laughs> might imagine, based on what we're talking about here, the global impact of this was far more severe. Weather. Again, as you might... As you might be able to imagine with an eruption of this size, the ash was one of the biggest things based on how much land we were talking about being displaced from this mountain. A significant amount of ash was released into the atmosphere. And you got to ask uh, yourself why. <laughs> oh. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to stop. Hey, like, hey wait, folks, I, we're done. <laughs> podcast is over after that one. It's over. Except it's a groaner. Well, what I will cut out of the rest of this episode <laughs> is, is my one. my opportunities for people to guess numbers, just because you guys' stories have some superlatives as far as storms go. But let's get. I, yeah. I can't. I can't. I can't even like express how much more deadly this, this whole thing is. So <laughs> yeah, the eruption. Your job. <laughs> what do you mean? That's why, the, the, that's why we're here? The eruption column from this volcano reached into the stratosphere. So, uh, some of the ash reached as high as 141,000 feet up into the atmosphere, with some of the finer a- uh, ash from the explosion remaining in Earth's atmosphere for as long as several years. Nice. Uh, generally remaining at altitudes between 33 and 98,000 feet. 
this fine ash dispersed throughout the atmosphere surrounding the Earth, uh, which results in a global cooling. So how much global cooling are we talking about here? So on average, global temperatures dropped in 1816, the year following the explosion, between estimates range between about 0.72 and 1.3 degrees Fahrenheit compared to years prior, which doesn't sound that drastic. Well, we all know what two degrees does now. Exactly. We we know this now, but this is the 1800s, right? That's true. We didn't have that that kind of technology at that point. Uh, The main culprit for this cooling, as we mentioned before, was the large amount of particulate matter that was released into Earth's atmosphere. More specifically, it was a material called tephra, also known as pyroclasts, which is basically small fragments of uh, volcanic material that are blasted up into the atmosphere. Uh, the finer the ash, the longer it stays in the sky, as you can imagine, based on its mass. Um, so tephra, when suspended from the sky, can result in rich red hues during sunsets, uh, very similar to uh, what actually a lot of America, especially in the wet western yeah. part of America, is experienced right now, like uh, Timely. like ash from uh, wildfires. It's a very similar kind of red hue to the sky. Even in, even in Iowa right now, where we, what me and Kane are, uh, we are having very red sunsets due to due to oh yeah ash like right from now, fires in the Montana put States. out a like a health warning saying that yep. if you have any type of asthma or anything like that you should don't, not go outside don't go outside yeah yeah damn I distinctly remember in elementary school in Nevada days where we had to have our recess inside because of wildfires due to particulate matter we were not allowed to be outside just because there's kids with asthma so back to the tephra. Tephra, when suspended in the sky, can result in these rich red hues, as I mentioned, uh, during sunsets, and generally produces darker and gloomier days, uh, which uh, pretty much explains the year without a summer, you know, because pretty much the entire summer, there was no true, you know, summer sun, which is the origin of that nickname. Um, Some of these rich red sunsets and moody skies uh, inspired many famous paintings and stories, uh, including one that uh, may seem completely unrelated, but is pretty much the sole reason and the inspiration behind Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Uh, what? So Frankenstein was written when Mary Shelley was uh, vacationing with um, some sort of, I, w- I want to say, Austrian aristocracy yeah. uh, guy. Yeah, they got like a uh, big house on a, on a river or whatever. On a lake, yeah. Lake, uh, lake Geneva, I want to say. Um yeah, that's that's 100% right. Is like in Wisconsin. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um basically the dark gloomy days like they couldn't really do any of their outdoor activities they really wanted to and so they got cooped up inside and the dark gloomy days just kind of, you know, and they were really close to Castle Frankenstein. <laughs> like like I'm not joking. That was an that was an actual castle that existed before the story. Okay. Wow. Uh, and that was okay. what inspired it. Dude. So like the dark gloomy, you know, she, th- that was the main like I, I genuinely believe that if this volcano did not explode, that story would never have gotten written. And that's the general historical view of it. So, anyway, moving on. Um, the effects of all this uh, ash was only made worse by five other large eruptions that had happened in the preceding seven years. Oh, my and seven, God. And s- seven years may seem like a long time, but... No. All but... <laughs> the, <laughs> well, the opposite. All but one of those... Er- 
all but one of the eruptions I'm talking about happened in the three prior years to this happening. This is Because I did mention that, um, like, three to five years is probably about the longest that ash would generally stay up in the sky, but, like, there's a lot of eruptions in this in this small period of time. So, addition... that ash. If, if, if we want to stack <laughs> something even further on top Such of this... Such an yeah. <laughs> Additionally, the Earth found itself in what was called the uh, Dalton Minimum, which uh, basically was a uh, period of time where there was decreased solar activity. So solar radiation directed towards the Earth from the sun, solar, <laughs> uh, was decreased. So, like, not only was there tons of ash up in the sky, but the sun was just not beating down as hard. So it was just, this was just absolutely compounded on top this of each This is other. just crazy. There's so much going into this one decade. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't believe we d- did not learn a single thing about this in school. I okay, I wouldn't sure. go that far. <laughs> well, we'll get on to this, which is that I'll give you as a spoiler alert, this has a disproportionate effect on America and Northeast America in particular. What do you have to say to that, dumbass? I say living in the Northeast. Up. Actually, you're, uh, the city you originate from was mentioned by name in the Wikipedia article. What so. city do I originate from? From Buffalo, dude. Wrong. Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania. Was that where you were born or where you lived? It's where I was born. Okay, that's not the same thing. And if anything, it would be Albany. It's Albany. It's Albany. Right, not Buffalo. Is... Albany. Whatever. Nor... Anything Midwest outside of New York. Guy. Anything outside outside of New York City. It's all the same. I'm coming for your life. Your your video freezing absolutely made that better. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, well, let's let's move on. We're on end of page two. We're getting famous. Hey, all right. Oh! All right. Third page <laughs> right. is the shortest, we're moving. if I remember. It is. We're going uh, to so. go for the uh, previously thought impossible three-hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'll tell you guys is that there, here's, a, here's a little spoiler alert. The very last uh, heading I have here is called The Starving Times. <laughs> okay. So as a result, that. as a result of these <laughs> yeah. eru- the eruptions that happened in the prior years, crop production had already been poor for a while. So there had already been a lot of expo- uh, of uh, volcanic explosions. There was already a lot of particulate matter in the sky, not a lot of sunlight. Dalton minimum, you know, crops have been pretty poor. And if we're thinking about this, is the early 1800s. There wasn't a lot of westward expansion in, in the United States at that point. Most of the people in the United States. Um, like just just North America in general lived on the East Coast. Um, anybody who lived in the East Coast at the time, even prior to that, if you were anything you know any kind of high elevation at all, or even you know slightly above sea level, your crops were already doing pretty poor. Like, pretty bad place to be growing crops. People didn't really know that you know the Midwest was going to be the breadbasket. There was just not a whole lot of people that were out there. Um, mm. Europe. On top no of this was also suffering. So if we're going to go to the other parts of the world and, 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 you know, look at their impact, Europe was already suffering from food shortages next to the Napoleonic Wars, which compounded these effects, you know. Um, Asia, uh, they suffered a disruption to their monsoon season, which resulted in absolutely devastating floods throughout the continent, most notably in uh, the Yangtze Valley in China, as as well as the pretty much the entire course of the uh, Gange, is it Ganges, Ganges? I think Ganges. The pre- pre- proper pronunciation. Ganges. Uh, All right. Soft um, G, I think. Oh, is it? 
Ganges? Ganges. It's a guess. Okay. All right. Uh, anyway, the entire course of it, pretty much everything got flooded. And the severe flooding also accelerated an already apparent problem, which is the spread of cholera, which resulted in a pandemic that spread God. from India Jesus. all the way to Moscow. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> Definitely did not help things. Uh, so Moved back to North America. By, like, decreased temperatures? Yeah, the decreased temperatures resulted in massive flooding across Asia. And the flooding caused standing water, caused cholera to increase, caused a pandemic, caused people to die. God. Um, moving, moving back to North America, there was a... What, what game? Um, <clears throat> I would like to ask, are you going to finish with some sort of estimated death toll or like... Absolutely, very good, last cool, line. Cool, cool, yep. cool, 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 cool. Um, and it's drastically further than anything anybody else has had this episode. So you already are. Oh, no. I'm sure. Uh, orders I'm sure, of magnitude yeah. ahead of Dan and I. Yeah. Cholera. I mean, in a day. <laughs> well, yeah, in a day is more than one ship. You know, no gold involved. But so anyway, moving back to North America, uh, the effects on northeastern North America was described as a persistent dry fog, which, as you may know, has nothing to do with precipitation or humidity in general. It has everything to do with particulate matter, uh, which is described as being so thick at times that sunspots were visible to the naked eye. <laughs> oh, cool. As I mentioned before, the northeastern United States and Atlantic Canada were the most severely impacted regions in the entire world just based on the way that wind patterns ended up working out. That's crazy. Like Sumatra, yeah, basically Canada. the furthest point on the planet from yep. it. Yeah, like just the based exact on the, opposite. That's what yep. the most effective based on wind was. patterns. That's just who ended up getting affected worse. And based on what I what I've been you know reading is that the northern hemisphere took the brunt of the impact, and it just seemed like North America, like where you know people tended to live, uh, the population centers tended to be further north than in Asia. Um, I'm sure that there's there was plenty of damage in Asia as well, but like most of the places I talked about in Asia were fairly far south, you know, longitudinally speaking. Um, but I'm sure that, you know, there were people that didn't get really get written about too much that were further north, longitudinally speaking, in Asia that got hit way harder because there was less populate. Latitude's fatitude, dog. I'm talking about longitude farther north. Yeah, I thought the latitude were the horizontal lines. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking vertical. So, like, the further north, basically the further... Right, the but you'd, you'd measure north with latitude lines. Oh, you shit, you're totally right. I'm just, I got that, yeah. <laughs> Another one for Kane. Got destroyed by facts and logic. Yeah. <laughs> Shapiro drew <dress. laughs> All right, well, back to the point. So, we mentioned that the Northeast was uh, hardest hit in North America. Uh, but crop failures worldwide were absolutely def- devastating, most notably due to frosts throughout the summer, which I'll get to here now. Um, so in, 18, in May of 1816, frost killed off most of the crops in higher elevations in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Vermont, as well as upstate New York. On uh, the 6th of June, snow fell in Albany, New York. D-Day. <laughs> and Denny'sville, Maine. In Cape May, New Jersey... Frost was reported five nights in a row in late June, ca- causing extensive crop damage. <laughs> New England also experienced major consequences from the eruption. Of, uh, well, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm just reading off my sheet. Sorry. Uh, fruits and vegetable crops survived, but um, 
was reported to have ripened so poorly that no more more than a quarter of it was usable for food. <laughs> that's that's um, not even worth it. Heavy snow fell in northern New England on June 7th to the 8th with, get this, 18 to 20-inch high snow drifts in oh, June. In July and August, lake and river ice was observed as far south as northwestern Pennsylvania. Frost was reported as far south as Virginia on August 20th and 21st. <laughs> no tobacco as, this year, boys. Yeah. Uh, as, one, as, as you might imagine, this led to extreme increases in the cost of staple goods. So what do you guys think that, so like how much, how many percentage points do you think that oats per se would have increased per bushel during this? I like from from the beginning of this to the end, I have no possible way percentage. To guess. Not not percentage wise, not dollar amounts. Seven. How many? How many? How, oh, seventy five percent more. You're saying the yeah. cost of oats? Yeah, like okay. how much did okay. it go up? Okay, the cost of oats. Uh, one hundred fifty percent. All right. Three hundred percent. All right. It's gonna be more than that. It's gonna be more than that. Yeah. Dan, seventy five. I have a feeling we're talking about movie theater popcorn inflation levels. <laughs> more than more than eight hundred percent. Okay, not quite. Not <laughs> about, quite about movie popcorn. Closer levels, to eight hundred and twenty-five percent increase. Close. Specifically, yeah. <laughs> to, from uh, adjusted for inflation, uh, the cost of a bushel of oats went from a dollar sixty-eight to thirteen dollars and eighty-six cents per bushel. Ugh. And as far as this is the very last line here, as far as a death toll goes for this whole thing <laughs> said and done, just. From the cooling, was estimated to be about ninety thousand dead. Damn, that's just Damn. the cooling. Just the cooling, not the direct effects of the. So I, I mentioned ten thousand direct deaths from the actual um, volcano explosion. Yeah, those are estimated also to be as high as seventy thousand. Nice. Yeah, like so we're looking at as high as one hundred and sixty thousand people dead lung from this cancer, one cancer, cannonballed. I don't. I don't think cancer has anything to do with it. I think just cooling, famine, floods, cholera. whatever. But regardless, a yeah, small midwestern cholera? city of one hundred and sixty thousand people. You know, God. yeah, goodbye, Des Moines, just wiped off the map, gone from this earth, like the snows of yesteryear, covered in snow by probably caused cooling from a volcanic eruption. Hey, back that ash up. <laughs> 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 How long have you been banking that? How long? I was I was waiting for you to bring up. I was hoping you'd bring up something where it would actually work, but we're at the end of your thing, so I had to just <laughs> well, I, empty I, the tank, you know? Well, if you want me to back that ash up, I can start from the top. <clears throat> Not don't you dare. <laughs> yeah. Don't you dare. Yeah. All right. Any, any thoughts on, on that whole eruption thing? It's just like... I just can't believe, like, the chain of events. Like, if I die, you know, like, if I'm starving and freezing in, like, southern Virginia because of a volcanic eruption five years ago in Indonesia, I'm pretty pissed. Yeah. Yep. It's a Not that I know, but I'm pissed about it. So here's something I, d I didn't really go over in, in what I was talking about, but is something that was talked about and, and like, in the, in the article I was, articles I was reading um, that's very fascinating to me, is that it's it's been argued that that volcanic eruption is one of the big, like the one of the reasons that 
westward expansion in the United States took off. Like, so basically, in in like you know, this is like we're talking you know eighteen sixteen. People were like, "I can't grow shit here. I need to I need to go where you know things are okay." And I mentioned that the northeastern United States was the hardest hit. The Midwest saw like none of this cooling. Damn right. Like just based on the way that like the um, the Appalachians keep cold air at bay, like. You know, people like at that point, people have been settling in Ohio and Indiana, and you know, they mentioned like <laughs> west, western, western Pennsylvania got hit, but like barely. That was mentioned briefly. That was about the extent of the frost. So like any, anybody west of there did not really get hit, and so there was a lot of people that got absolutely just destroyed economically in the Northeast that were like starving, that were like, I need to go somewhere where I can actually grow crops. That that drove a lot of people to actually move towards the Midwest, which to me is really interesting, and I I can't believe that I didn't even hear a tidbit of this during you know my my you know, yeah yeah it's all it's all about the Louisiana purchase it's the sexy stuff that gets attention yeah the the big stuff but nobody ever wants to talk about big sexy volcanoes <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go ahead and uh, jump right in with the moral because. Ooh. Like, I got one, and I am thirsting to get at this draft. Oh, yeah. So. Same. Moral of the story. And it's not a fun one. It's not exciting. It's a cold, hard fact from somebody who has no real idea what they're talking about. <laughs> I don't think you – can, you can look at the weather app, and you can be mad when it says it's going to be sunny on Saturday, and you make plans, and then it rains. But I personally do not think weather forecasting is ever going to get better than it is now. If it does, it'll only be marginal. I think the entire system of weather is too complex, and we'll never really be able to nail it down. What do you think? Preach. I agree. Cool. Glad I'm not alone. Do you know what really needs to happen? Is we need to talk about this uh, this draft. Okay. Time for the draft. As I said earlier, it is best fictional television characters we are doing a snake draft, Greg, with the first draw since he was absent in round one. Greg, your first pick. My fourth pick. Right, first pick, fourth person. All right. My first pick is going to be Rickety Cricket from It's Always Sunny <laughs> okay. in Philadelphia. Good one. Good <laughs> and, choice. And I, give, I give him number four, but uh, well, we're, we're talking about reasoning here as well. So the reason I pick him as my number four and one of my top four is going to be because of his insane rise and fall he was a, he was a lame person in high school and he he loved sweet d and he became well he he got his heart broken in high school became a priest sweet d contacted him again he got addicted to crack and <laughs> yeah. fell into poverty forever and now he's just a crack addicted hobo i you know to me as as a character as as like a lot of people think of good characters as people that start you know start low and then have good character progression i like to see a it's good character as, yeah. regression just as fun on the other side <laughs> exactly That's a good pick. and rickety crick is the pick. perfect example of character regression Dear so God. i think he's my number four okay my number four um kind of a minor character so i'm gonna ask have any of you seen silicon valley the show oh i know where this is going yeah some. A little bit from you. That's about okay. it. Okay. I think you're going to steal my sixth, my backup. It's a minor character. Yeah. We'll see. Well, let's hear oh, it. Oh, okay. Uh, number four is Peter Gregory. Yeah. 
who was the like I don't know if I want to explicitly say autistic, but he was one of those like weird business mogul guys that has absolutely no social skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the actor played him so phenomenally. <laughs> <laughs> Is there cumin in this barbecue sauce? <laughs> and then it, it wasn't his sister, just like identical in personality. Well, it wasn't his sister, but the actor died. And they got a new person basically playing the same character, but it was like a totally different person. So it was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> They're all like this, you know? Uh, Paul, I'm throwing to you. Okay. My number four pick is Detective Rust Cole. Oh, oh shit. From... I didn't even think about True Detective. True Detective. God, that's bitch. good. Played by Matthew McConaughey. Time is a flat uh, circle. Basically yeah, off that excellent. line alone, time is a flat circle, but just his character and smoothness throughout the entire season of that show. Classic. Classic. Can't believe detective. you stole my pick. Which number uh, was that for you, Dan? Three. Okay. Really? All right. I mean, like, going Glad up, the back. so it would have been my second to last. Glad we oh, had backups. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Damn. Sorry. Sorry. I got Sorry. Good backups. snag, Paul. All right. Dan, that's Paul's four. All right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I've got a great list. That's All right, insulting. Dan. All right. Four uh, for you. My first pick is uh, Tyrion Lannister. Okay. Solid okay. answer. That is yeah. a solid answer. Eight years of making sense when nobody else could. Oh. Oh, that's a good, like, slogan. Yeah. A campaign slogan. If you had to have one, but you don't because <laughs> aristocracy. <laughs> the hand. And the... Uh, Going back, pick pick number two, Omar Little from The Wire. I thought I thought about doing that. Omar, I Steppen. thought about it. I have a different The Wire character on my list, though. <laughs> I was afraid you would take it. All right, Paul. Okay, Kane. <laughs> I know you know what this one is. Okay. My number three is Kevin Garvey. Uh, yep, I knew you were going to say it. From the leftovers, all hail. We- Kevin the, Garvey, we, the second you said there were multiple, I was like running through my head the shows we've both seen, and I immediately <laughs> yes. asked leftovers, dude. Yes, which absolutely. by the way, I think one of the most underrated shows in the HBO catalog. Basically, I got no oh. shine because it aired like the same years Game of Thrones did. Mm-hmm. Just an incredible show. I'll have to give and, it a watch. Honestly, I that seen ma- any it, it makes me so sad that it ended the way it did because it felt a little rushed. Yeah, sure. Because it like it just vamped up so quickly and it could have been so much more if it was drawn out a little bit more yeah it's the uh it's the damon lindelof curse he uh yep he can't do endings he did lost did the leftovers yep but kevin garvey the problem kevin garvey's great okay that means me yep that means you uh and this is my wire character sergeant jay landsman ah the fat homicide sergeant (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> one of my favorite characters in that show just <laughs> always on he's always busting balls oh yeah Love he's it. just a one-liner yeah. character <laughs> i thought you were a, gonna say the uh what was he a senator clay davis that's right i love the compilation of him saying okay greg you get the next two i get the next two all right I think one of mine's going to steal somebody else's if anybody else has an anime one because there's going to be one in here. Uh-oh. So my uh, my number three is not an anime character. Is Abed Nadir from Community. 
Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I've never seen the show. That's something you should be watching. Very good show. Okay. It's a good show. Um, my reasoning behind that is that Abed breaks the fourth wall yeah. non-stop. And I think that's hilarious for a show that, almost, like, so one thing I didn't realize when I was, like, until, like, halfway through watching that show is that it's written by Dan Harmon. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of stuff that's very, once you go back and look at it, very Rick and Morty-esque okay. in the show. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, breaking the fourth wall and just kind of yeah. messing with the person who's listening, Abed is the character that gets to do that the entire show. Right. Nobody else does it. Just him. Especially the further you get on in the show, the more he breaks the fourth wall. There's an entire episode dedicated to breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> and, I, and I think that character is fantastic, exceptionally well-written. And that's he why he's to, I my think number he three. He went to school in Marquette in Milwaukee. Really? Yeah. Interesting. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken. I believe that is correct. Based on my Wikipedia readings yeah. in the past. But all right, what's your number four? My number four. Well wait. Or three. Three. Excuse me. We're doing four. Total. Three, uh, so my number, number three two. is Saitama from One Punch One Punch Man. Oh, oh. nice. Good. That's oh, my, yeah, that's, okay. my, that's my one anime pick total. Uh just Sheer hilarity and determination. A man who is, by all measures, normal, but <laughs> becomes exceptional through the sheer power of will and push-ups. I was yeah. gonna say hundred push-ups, hundred what squats or sit-ups, and hundred then... of everything every day, <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> 10K. becomes ten k run. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but Classic just the, like some out. some of the some of the hilarious situations, he, literally the most average dude in the world that becomes the mo- the strongest person in the entirety of history in his universe, <laughs> uh, a comeback kid if there ever was was one. So, all right, Kendrick, what you got? Number two, well, yes. This, so this is my number two on the list, but my third pick, Roger Sterling from Mad Men. Ah, ooh. a character that is played only to like be funny. There's no real like. There's a few like serious story arcs he goes through, but they're still funny. Be just by nature of his character. It always a treat to see him in the show. Yeah. Oh yeah. When he when he, I don't know what they're running for, but the like they're running back into their. It's it's in the, one of the seasons where they have their newer office yeah. where they split from the original firm and they're like running back to the office and the elevator's broken or something so they run up <laughs> all the stairs and he gets into the lobby and uh, Don and whatever guys they're meeting start a conversation and then you just see him in the background just like keel over and vomit. Yeah, <laughs> they just the had. Car martinis and oysters Rockefeller for like two hours straight and then they had to run up a flight of stairs Uh, all right Paul what you got my number what three but my number two is Major Winters from Band of Brothers yeah just rewatched that actually I gotta gotta choose him just based off the like number one military leader yeah flawless character really like Almost, almost entirely flawless. Yeah, and I can't, I can't look at him as an actor in any other role besides that. Nah, you're absolutely right. Because he will always just be. I tried, in? I tried with Homeland. Man, thinking tried. About, <laughs> thinking Homeland. about serious, uh, serious actors, especially military actors, makes me want to rise my list and put the gunny in there somewhere. Oh yeah, that's a good one too. Good honorable yeah. mention. But Major Winters, either lieutenant, captain, or major. Good Another throughout the entire w- show. Another thing about Major Winters, the actor, Damian Lewis, 
mm-hmm. is one of those guys that it's uh, you see him talk and you're like stunned that he actually has a, like a thick British accent. He's one yes. of those guys, you know. Oh, well, Kevin Garvey. Kevin Garvey was the same thing. Um, no, he's American. Wait, Justin Thoreau. No, who yeah. am I thinking of? There's someone else I'm thinking of. That's exact. Oh, uh, from Walking Dead. Oh, What's really? His face. The main Rick. guy. Rick. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Girl. He's actually very. He's actually very British. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. All right, Dan. All right, two. Two in a row. Finish my four out. First, I'm gonna pick. Shout out to Chelsea. No ho, Hank from Barry. Okay. <laughs> you guys no watch Hank Barry? No ho, Hank is awesome. Yeah, no ho, Hank is really yeah. funny. Oh, he's the lifeblood of that show. Uh, it's really freaky in the second season. The one episode that he gets really serious and he's like, "Yeah, oh I'm yeah, gonna, I'm gonna fucking kill you, Barry." Yeah. Um, and then for my last pick, buckle up, boys. Let's hear it, Johnny Bravo. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude! Whoa, whoa! Okay. out there, number one. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh yeah, Yo. interesting pick, man. I'm whoa, pretty tell. Yeah. Do tell. <laughs> thank you, thank you. 1995 thank you, thank you. to 1999, and reruns ever since. Dude, uh, smoothest man on there television. Is only <laughs> one scene I remember from Johnny Bravo, and it is still. I mean, it's like it, it's fun. It's good writing. He's like he has to go somewhere. And he doesn't know his way around, so he leaves a trail of breadcrumbs <laughs> to get home. And he makes it to the next house over and looks behind him, and a bird has eaten the breadcrumbs. <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm lost! And can't, like, figure out how to get home. <laughs> that dude is just the definition of shoot your shot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. That's amazing. Dan. Incredible. Great pick, Dan. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank, you for, thank you for including that. Bingo. Now, <laughs> Dan, I'm surprised you didn't say this one because I hinted at it before. Yeah, me too. Um, okay. And my number one pick uh, as the fourth round is Utachi Uchiha. Oh, gonna make I me know you know. Up, man. I know, right? This is the most mysterious, most powerful character in all of Naruto. I just want to watch the last like 50 episodes of that series. Is he the one that plays dumb the first like little bit? Because I've been watching some Naruto with a friend. No, dude, he's no. Or he's not, the not one plays who dumb, killed but... half the village, and then fled when he was like twelve. Okay. Yeah, right, I'm getting lost. You start he's... hearing about him, but oh my All god, right. dude, what he's... what a swing in character development, like for sure, especially with Sasuke. Hey, Good guess job. who just guess who just liked our Instagram post? Who's that? Your mom. Seriously. Who's? <laughs> oh yeah, you Dan Rosemary. Sorry, I, I saw don't know that if earlier. I just doxed your mom accidentally. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. That. That's great. Okay. I hope. Part of me hopes she listens. Part of me isn't so sure. But hey, mom. <laughs> <laughs> little shout out. I've, to I've, t- I've told my parents several times about our podcast, and I don't know if they listen yet. So, you told Rosemary. If you if you start <laughs> if you, if we start getting <laughs> likes from you told my mom about our podcast. <laughs> if uh, we start getting likes from bleep, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll know that my mom start listening. All right, Kane. Damn, Itachi. We're on to Kane. Kane, are we on to your number one? Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm I'm waiting. I, I can look at it, but I can't even read it from here, so let's see. I don't think it will register with any of you, right. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be disappointed if it's not a Simpsons character. It's not. Damn, what? I, to be, I did not even think about Simpsons, which I should have. 
But I was uh, going to say, Old Gil was one I, of my backups. When I was planning these, I did not even think about cartoons. Like, mm-hmm. I was just thinking uh, live-action shows. All right. Let's hear um, The most impressive character development of all time. John mm. Locke lost. Oh, man. For those who know, you Jesus. know, baby. I only know three and a half seasons of that character development. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, just as he was starting to go all, like, living in that little outpost thing. Yeah. That was yeah, it. Yeah, he goes, he, he, he buys into the island. Yeah, he, exactly. He is, uh, yeah. That's one dude, with the first time, first time you realize that he's been playing it straight, but like most of his life he was in a wheelchair until he landed on the island. That's a huge drop. Mm, Sorry mm-hmm. for anyone who is. I uh, mean, at this point, is, like, like yeah, me now, just yeah. watching Lost. No, just, Spoiled yeah, something sorry. from the like fourth episode of the first season of Lost. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, not like, really a super like huge ten spoiler. years yeah. ago. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Greg, Finish you got the set. last. This is a little bit of an off the wall one. There's no character development. This person is the same throughout, like, always. But is my favorite character in any TV series ever. It's an animated series. And that character is Dale Gribble. <laughs> okay. Fix it again, Whoosh. Tony. Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn. Also, also, also known as Rusty Shackleford. Yeah. <laughs> Eternally distrustful of the government. And uh, exterminator extraordinaire, and just general uh, <laughs> general conspiracy theorist. That was a real deep I, dive, Greg. Yeah, that was I a just, deep I cut. just, I think that's Love just. It. I think he's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> like I, I think King of the Hill is a criminally underrated TV series. I agree. I, yeah. I, I think it's you know <laughs> just as good as any, Matt Groening was involved, right? No, Mike Judge, guy who made Beavis and Butthead and Silicon okay. Valley. Okay, I'm, I'm, I was getting them mixed up. Apologies, listeners, but. Anyway, fantastic animated series all around. Lock him um, up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Dale Gribble, just, man. All I got to end with is pocket sand. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, uh, uh, any honorable mentions from the crowd? Ooh, I do. I have some, but I'll let you guys start. I have one. It was what I was going to use as a replacement pick. In case somebody stole one of mine, is uh, a Game of Thrones character, uh, perhaps the only truly likable character in Game of Thrones. That's not true, but Sir Davos. Uh, oh yes, yeah. you just can't hate him. Really, you can't honestly. hate him. You My... cannot. He sets himself up for success. Yeah, super loyal. Every time, dude. Yep, mm-hmm. loyal to almost a fault, but that's still not a fault, right. by the way. Right. Said almost. So. <laughs> My my backup was Jared Dunn from Silicon Valley. Okay. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool. This guy fucks. <laughs> That's not his line, just to be clear, but yeah. <laughs> you know. Sorry, Bob. My backup was Charlie Kelly from oh, Always Sunny. Yeah, yeah nice. another Always so, Sunny character. Charlie's yeah. great. It was my, probably my, probably my favorite episode of the show is Charlie work. You know oh, what's yes. funny? Yep. <laughs> I was literally earlier today listening to an episode of Pardon My Take where they were interviewing uh, the actor who plays Dennis, and yeah. he said that um, most of the writing of Dennis as like a psychopath was done by Charlie Day. He was really? like the best really? at writing Dennis being crazy. Yeah, that's very funny. <clears throat> He's just such a, I, yeah, that actor Charlie D- Charlie Day is such a good actor. He's very good, very funny. 
I I hate to outdo everybody, but I had four backups. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'll run through I'll run through them very <laughs> quick. Rapid fire. Yeah. All right. Tobias Funke from Arrested Development. Excellent choice. Hilarious. David Cross knocks it out of the park all the time. Bob Odenkirk as himself during Tim and Eric's awesome show, great job <laughs> okay. as oh, yes. uh, as a presenter of um, Cinco products in yeah. general. <laughs> um, the Stig from Top Gear, D- literally counts. Literally that counts. Yeah, literally yeah. never says a word, just drives cars fast, <laughs> and uh, is literally That's just very Greg of you. Yeah, I I agree, but then you know, there's no character development, no nothing like that. But I think it's very funny that. It's literally just a professional racing driver in a suit. You never find out who it is. And the second that you do, they got a new stick. Yeah. So it's always, yeah. you just never could know who it was. I love that. Uh, and the very last one is Fred My Leg from SpongeBob, who literally <laughs> just screams, My Leg! <laughs> <laughs> Honorable mention. I love that. <laughs> Jesus. That's a good one. That's so, fantastic. That, those are my backups. Okay. Listeners, that- cast your votes. Yeah, that Paul, concludes. Plug the, plug the Insta, will The you? armchair adventure. Gotcha, boys. Um, and uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Obviously, going to be some cuts, but we're at almost two hours raw. Wow. So fantastic. Definitely a yeah. record. Okay. Pretty good for you know, three stories. Armchair underscore adventure underscore podcast podcast <laughs> or twitch.tv slash armchair adventurers show Ooh. give us a follow wherever you listen Hit that follow don't bother subscribing yet because our content is shit but follow it's free okay <laughs> follow like, subscribe maybe a like yeah maybe also just subscribe view. to our only fans yeah oh my god <laughs> oh my god no we uh done we post feet pics that's it i am stuck yeah i'm stuck <laughs> i'm stuck Take it.